Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play. Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 57 is Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Hello from off of Cane and Rinse, our other podcast. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, as is the norm, we've opened there with a track uh, from selected by our uh, sort of guest in, in this case. Josh, that's you. Yeah. Now, uh, when it comes to Half-Life music, I often struggle to place where it was in the game. I've played through Half-Life 2 umpteen times. I've played through the episodes a couple of times each. Um, when do you actually know when that piece kicks in? Um, I do, in fact. Um, Good. So uh, the track was uh, Vortal Combat, um, composed by... A favourite of ours, uh, Leon uh, Kelly Bailey, who um, I, you know, legitimately one of my favourite uh, creatives working working in games. I think his sound design and music are both really fantastic. Yeah. Um, but this particular piece um, it appears in Half Life Two Episode Two um, during the sequence where you have to defend Alex Vance's unconscious body Uh. with turrets and the help of your Vortigon buddies as, uh, antlions pour in from every angle. Ah, right. Yes. 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 Okay. I'm probably, I've probably already always been too busy 
panicking to yeah. to notice the music and and the music just sort of enhances that sense but yeah i think it, it the way half life um handles music all all the games in the series mm. is quite unusual isn't it in that it, it just very infrequently from time to time fades yeah. in a piece then plays it normally for 2 to 3 minutes and then it fades out again um and uh, yeah so it's just like a a a, a scattershot punctuation rather than something that's constantly running underneath yeah absolutely and i and i think and because you know kelly bailey's working on the sound design as well as the music he does such a good job of um having the music blend in with whatever audio is going on in the background anyway that while you're playing the game I don't think many players pick up on it too much. Mm. It definitely enhances the experience, but you're not kind of humming along to the tune as you're playing the game. It's usually there to amplify mood and and atmosphere. But I think this track in particular does actually kind of stand out as one that does work as a piece of music isolated from from the game itself. And and I think it's it coincides with a really um exciting moment because during the the siege as it were um it's it there isn't any music at all it's just you and two guys setting up turrets and like shouting at each other well um the two guys with you are shouting at each other and they're panicking and they go god the ant lions are coming from everywhere and then the vortigon show up and this music kicks in and it's just a perfect like crescendo moment of all this action going on around you. And it's been pointed out that once the Vortigons kind of show up in that sequence, you can pretty much take a back seat because they can, you know, wreck shop. They can pretty much yeah. take out the uh, antlions on themselves uh, by themselves. But um, yeah, I just think it's a it's a great piece of music to accompany a really, um, you know exciting moment and also i kind of i kind of associate this piece of music with the um kind of the the action in half-life in general it has that um it's rocky it's modern but it doesn't feel kind of like it, it doesn't feel like pop rock it feels like some kind of like indie alternative band yeah and mm. it kind of that kind of feels like how half-life feels to me it's always the the first person shooter that's slightly different from the rest of the pack and um yeah um yeah i think it's a great piece of music yeah and so it turns out being um incapacitated by a combine hunter is not is well it's probably the second worst thing that uh, happens to alex vance is throughout the course of half-life 2 episode 2 uh cuz she gets out of that one okay uh but uh we may never know so um we covered uh, the entire Half-Life series, such as it is, over on our Cane and Rinse podcast. Uh, Half-Life 2 episodes 1 and 2 got their own podcast. That was issue 60. Uh, but if you go back a bit further into the archive, you can also find us talking about both Half-Life uh, and Half-Life 2. Uh, so I can't remember what, if any, conclusions we came to back then. This would have been, I guess, this podcast we made was in... 2012 so we're another four years on now josh mm. uh and still no real sign of uh anything um amounting to an actual follow-up or resolution to uh half-life 2 episode 2 um and how how does how do you feel about this what 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 if anything would you like to see at this point mm. or do you think we should just let it go I mean, I'd be lying if, if you know, if news came up on Twitter, hey, look, there's a trailer for Half-Life 3. I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd be having a heart attack right there and then <laughs> and be, oh, my God, I need to see it right now. Forget whatever I'm doing. Um, I Yeah, it would elicit, you know, a huge amount of excitement from me if Half-Life 3 or you know, Half-Life 2 Episode 3 ever showed up again. But, yeah, could be. Um, but it's been almost 10 years since Episode 2 at this point. That's right. And mm. whatever I've built up in my mind, I know is going to be greater than what whatever ends up uh, being put out there. 
Um, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being too cynical there. Maybe Valve will surprise us again, and Half Life Three will yeah. be another uh, epochal triumph. Know, yeah. Triumph, and uh, yeah, but I, I'm basically I've I've gotten past the point where I'm desperate to see it because I've yeah. I've kind of come to terms with the fact that if it never happens, well, fair enough, and I'm happy for Valve to do whatever they're doing because I still you know love their output. But uh, but I'm still I'm still in love with the idea of finally getting a resolution to that to that cliffhanger, which uh, left everyone in tears in 2007. Yeah, I think I'm much the same, and I think I'm with you in that I would rather never have another Half Life game than have a really disappointing Half Life game. Yeah, uh, I would rather have uh, have it un- perpetually unresolved. But um, I mean, I know you know I've, I've heard. Uh, possibly justifiably cynical voices saying that Valve simply don't need to make games anymore, you know, because they make so much money from being platform holders of Steam and uh, they make controllers now and boxes and, and various other things. So they their actual games output is, uh, is minimal for a reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Left 4 Dead 2 as well. I mean, the, the you know, the, the Left 4 Dead 2 that is what you play now if you have steam or what you can download uh ended up being kind of left for dead ultimate in that it included all the content of left for dead one and left for dead two and and that game again for me was pretty much like the perfect expression of of what a four-player co-op zombie game should be (laughs) or could be how how fun you could possibly make that with the ai director and and the settings and the humor and and the fear and all that um, again, like you know, I part of me thinks, yeah, if they brought out a Left 4 Dead three on the the current gen machines and and uh, you know and for obviously for for the latest PCs could be really fantastic because it would get a larger community of people playing it again. But again, if it didn't rekindle the magic of that time, then ultimately it would be disappointing. Um, and uh, it wouldn't take take those memories away. Like um, I'm not doing a, a Ghostbusters here. That's uh, that's absurd. But um, yeah, I'd rather have no game than a, a either a yeah a, a a pale imitation of of their former selves. Um, we shall see. It doesn't look like anything's going to change in the near future, anyway. So yeah, the longer it goes on, the less likely anything seems to happen. Portal Three. Yeah. Next up, uh, something very different in tone from our opening piece. Uh, this was requested by Wyatt Hoglow, uh, and it's called Simple and Clean from Kingdom Hearts. You're giving me too many things lately.
I believe the original Japanese title of that is simply uh, Hikari. I think that's right. Um, the artist is Utada Hikaru, and uh, that was for the original uh, Kingdom Hearts release in 2002, a game which I have meant to play since its inception. I have sitting here in front of me uh, copies disc boxed copies of both Kingdom Hearts 1.5 Remix and 2.5 Remix and uh, that's a lot of Kingdom Hearts right there um, and one day I, I still feel like I want to I want to experience that mashup of, of Square Enix and Disney stuff uh, even though I am now a middle-aged man uh, so <laughs> so uh, very much uh, a possibility for a future Kane and Rince podcast or two the Kingdom Hearts series because it would uh, give me the impetus and excuse I need to finally experience that. Josh, have you got any Kingdom Hearts uh, affection or experience at all? I do. Um, it's been a while since I've played either Kingdom Hearts one or two, and I haven't kind of really delved into the spin-offs in the series. Um, but I, I do. There is something really appealing about. Um, the kind of combination of uh, Japanese kind of animation influences and uh, Western animation influences in one video game. And yeah, I, I think Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, just, you know, looking at um, gameplay footage of even the PS2 versions, I think they've held up really well visually. And mm. um, I think the music is great. Um, you've got, you know, kind of Square Enix's, you know, they're drawing from their their composers and uh, the classic tunes that they featured in you know the Final Fantasy series, but they're also drawing from all the classics from the Disney uh, movies, and and yeah. there is a lot of good music to draw on from there. So I think more more than anything, like these games are really aesthetically uh, impressive. So if we do the series, you're up for it. Yeah, I'm up for it. Yeah, cool. I understand they made some changes. Um, to the first game in particular, the, which did have some notoriously frustrating uh, areas, which I understand the the PS3 HD versions have addressed some of the the difficulty in some way. I'm not sure exactly how, whether it's checkpointing or or extra lives or better controls or something. But I know that they they at least um, the reason they're called remix is because they're not just purely. Um, as well as adding some of the spin-offs and stuff, they also uh, feature some gameplay revision, which is uh, which is nice to know. Could make things a little easier um, for us to uh, go ahead with that. Sticking with Square Enix, Enix, sorry, that's like Ubisoft and Ubisoft. It's not Enix, it's Enix, Square Enix. Uh, we have something from, uh, Josh, I have to say, um, and I don't, it's not a bad thing, but um, your picks today have been uh, quite uh, expected as opposed to <laughs> unexpected. <laughs> um, yeah, um, normally... And that's I, fine. Yeah, normally I try to um, uh, go outside the box a bit, but today I've just thought, you know, I'm going to go for traditional Joshua Garrity picks. Absolutely, um, and why not? Um, so this track is from Final Fantasy VII, um, a game that's featured, been featured a lot on Sound of Play. Um, the track is Those Chosen by the Planet. Um, so One Winged Angel is the track that is often uh, associated with um, Final Fantasy VII's chief antagonist, um, Sephiroth. But... I've always found that this music evokes that character for me much more, um, mainly because it's played much more frequently throughout the entire game um, and at key moments for that particular character. Um, one moment that really sticks out is when Sephiroth burns down uh, Nephilim mm. and... Um, and uh, yeah, and you get that uh, image of him in the fire, and then this music is playing in the background. And I think it does such a good job of conveying this quiet, intense menace, because Sephiroth's not like a, a raving lunatic. Final Fantasy has characters like that. Um, Kefka springs to mind, who are kind of Joker-esque. But mm. uh, Sephiroth is much more... 
um, kind of internally broken. He just a lot a lot of it's under the surface, and and this music kind of really does a good job of conveying that kind of danger that's lying just under the surface. And uh, yeah, for me, this is Sephiroth's theme, not One Winged Angel. Not to diss One Winged Angel, that is a fantastic piece of music, but I associate that with a boss battle, not the character. This is this character's uh, theme tune. Those Chosen by the Planet by Nobuo Uematsu, of course, and uh, from Final Fantasy VII. Now we have uh, another request, of course. This is from the human sneeze, Papa Pishu. Uh, and uh, the reason I picked this one was because, well, because the sequel, uh, sort of, well, not sequel, Spiritual Successor has just come out, and we have a review of it on the blog. So the game in question that we're going to feature the track from is The Neverhood. And the spiritual successor that's just come out on uh, consoles, it's been out on PC for a while, I should say. The game's called Army Krog. And uh, if you head over to canerince.com, you can find your other Sound of Play host, uh, Ryan Heyman, uh, who I felt was the perfect uh, candidate to review this game, uh, which he did for us. So check that out on the blog. Um, it's not been tremendously well received either on PC or console, but I knew that Ryan would give it uh, a very fair hearing, and and in in the style of Kane and Rince, talks a lot about the uh, you know the reasons why maybe certain things don't work, and also uh, highlights the positive elements, which 
are, I would say, undoubtedly the visual style. Um, back to Papa Pichu, who requests this piece from the Neverhood, uh, and you'll get some idea as to that if you're not familiar. Papa Pichu says, I've always loved the point-and-click adventures, but sometime in mid to late 90s, I was introduced to a game that completely blew my mind. Everything was made out of clay and stop-motion animation, and I mean everything. The characters, the backgrounds, the menus, even the mouse cursor was this little wiggling clay arrow. The game had a lovely kind of silly humour and weird puzzles, except for the Hall of Records where you had to walk through screen after screen of corridor with writing on the walls for about 10 minutes to reach an item at the end that was needed to progress, only to realise that you had to take the same way out. The game is called The Neverhood and its soundtrack was composed by Terry Scott Taylor. Its Wikipedia article describes the soundtrack better than I ever could. Horns, Muppet-like vocals, clunky banjos and percussion that often sounds like it's simply falling out of its storage box. The song I picked is called Southern Front Porch Whistler. Hope you enjoy. from 1996 released by Electronic Arts The Neverhood uh, so some of the key uh, creative personnel were involved in uh, Army Krog this recent spiritual successor uh, and yeah that music is by somebody we've never featured before by Terry S. Taylor uh, yeah not to be confused with Terry Scott the uh, the old um, British comedy actor no now, uh, we can't get through a single podcast without mentioning Dark Souls. So there it is. The, <laughs> the bomb is dropped. And uh, I know, Josh, this is one of your, if not your favourite boss fight or multi-boss fight uh, of any game ever. Is that fair? Um, Yeah, it's it's definitely among my favourites. Um, yeah. Um, Ornstein and Smo um, is the name of the track, if anyone's uh, trying to guess. Um so this was composed by Matoy Sakuraba. Uh, apologies for the pronunciation. I, I try my best. Um, this plays during the uh, Ornstein and Smo boss battle. And um, this track is actually quite uncharacteristic for um, Dark Souls. Um, it's very bombastic and very big and loud, and it fills the space. And I think that's really a reflection of um, the location in general that this boss battle takes place in. Um, I won't go into massive detail, but uh, just for a little bit of context, um, this boss battle takes place in a, a location called Orno Londo, which is the city of the gods. And it's one of the one beautiful areas in Dark Souls. Up until this point, everything's been death and decay and rotting, and this feels like a city soaked in sunlight. And everything about the aesthetic, the way the creatures are, des the, uh, the way the creatures are designed, the way these two are designed, and the way the music is designed kind of reflects that feeling of this is a city beyond people. This is a city beyond humanity. Um, these these people are bigger and more important than you are. 
and um, the way this music fills you with fear because these two aren't just a couple of trolls or uh, goblins or what what have you. These are two knights with lightning spears and massive war hammers. These are powerful opponents and you feel like nothing compared to them. Um, and you continue to feel like that even after defeating them because this is um, considered by many to be the peak of difficulty in uh, the original Dark Souls, mm. um, excluding um, the the DLC uh, boss encounters. Um, and um, after this, you've pretty much broken the game's back. Um, nothing will ever be as challenging as these two. Um, and yeah, I I think out of all of the boss battle music, um, with the exception of Gwyn Lord of um, Lord of Cinder, which kind of stands out for completely different reasons, um, this is probably my favorite piece of uh, boss battle music in the game. Um, take a listen. goodness me and uh, we talked all about Dark Souls well I didn't because I've never completed it but uh, a number of our Dark Souls experts and we roped in some from outside as well talked about Dark Souls back in issue 76 of the Cana Rinse podcast we've also uh, done podcasts on Dark Souls 2 and Demon Souls check those out Uh, Dark Souls 3 I imagine we'll get a podcast at some point in the future, but I have to say that uh, the noises from the Dark Souls community, uh, while I would say universally positive about Dark Souls 3, have been, it's been very sort of muted. It feels like maybe it was just one game too far for the the enthusiasm levels to be the same as they were. Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, I I really like Dark Souls 3, and and it's still you know, one of my favorites I've played this year, but um, it's just, it's missing that, you know, indescribable X factor 
mm-hmm. um, that we talk about a lot on the podcast. And it, you mm-hmm. know, it's really hard to nail down, but it's it's missing that special spice that I think some of the earlier entries had. And um, I'd still recommend it, but um, I don't think if we did a podcast on it, we'd be quite as effusive as we have been in the past. So I understand that. Um, well, I understand that the consensus is is reflected by you as regards to Dark Souls Two, which was that the initial release was a little underwhelming. Um, yeah. But the Scholar of the First Sin edition, with everything added and tweaked and whatever, made it a far superior experience. Yeah. Um, but so where does where would you say? If if people had finished Dark Souls One but hadn't been back to the series yet, uh, would you say to jump in straight to three or go for Scholar of the First Sin first? I I would recommend Scholar of the First Sin over Dark Souls Three. Um, mm. I I think um, in many ways, if you were just examining Dark Souls Three from a game design standpoint. Um, I think a lot of the levels are stronger than uh, the vanilla Dark Souls 2 experience, but Mm -hmm. I think um, there's something to be said about Dark Souls 2's willingness to try and be different, which gives it its own identity, whereas I feel like Dark Souls 3 is trying a little too hard to please the audience it's um, Mm. catering to, and it ends up being a weakness. Interesting stuff. Little mini, mini review of Dark Souls 3 there. Expect us to uh, go into some more depth than that in, uh, well, who knows, maybe next year, maybe the year after. We'll see. Uh, there's some DLC planned, isn't there? So it probably won't be next year. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, traditional veer of course from Dark Souls to Ape Escape. Uh, or to give it its original Japanese title, Saru Get You, which is basically like Get Your Monkey or something like that. Uh, Ape Escape, yes. So this is requested by Dingle Dongle, the marvellously named forum contributor, uh, who says, Ape Escape may be my favourite game of all time. It is the game I keep coming back to, the, the game that will always be an option. I've beaten the game more times than I can count, and its whole soundtrack is such a blast from beginning to end, with its multiple songs per level being my first of such an experience. But the song that leaves me with a smile on my face is the credits theme, where I can look back at my day of pure enjoyment, only to realise I still have to catch the rest of those darn monkeys to finish up, and that's never a negative. So yes, this is the credits roll normal ending theme by Soichi Parada.
So Ape Escape's end credits theme there from 1999. That was a game that uh, Sony Japan made uh, mainly, I think, as much as anything to demonstrate the capabilities of this new dangle fangled twin analog controller. Um, so it was controller movement on the left and items on the right stick, I think. Uh, or no, you no. Items were on the buttons, but I think you swung your net with the right stick. I had Ape Escape 2, uh, not the first one, although I do have the first one on my shelf here, but it's my girlfriend's copy. Uh, that shows how long ago we got together, because I got that for her when it wasn't really, really old. Um, but yeah, I played Ape Escape 2 a lot, which she bought for me. Uh, uh, and I liked that game a lot. I thought it was um, it was it was very much worthwhile. And uh, it wasn't just, it didn't feel just like a, you know, a gimmicky tech demo. It was a legitimately cute uh, 3D platformer. Not sure exactly how well it would have held up, but it is available. Apescape 2 is available as a PS2 classic on the PlayStation 4. So it has uh, upscaled graphics uh, and trophies. And it looks rather lovely, if I do say so myself. Uh, I would say worth checking out, especially in the uh, the sale prices that it often goes for. Uh, have you ever played an Ape Escape, Josh? Unfortunately, I haven't. Um... They they are quite cute. Um, if you if you think monkeys in their pants with flashing lights on their heads are appealing, this this is this is right up your alley. Okay, I'm sold. Um, they've all got different personalities it's one of those games uh, which is something you see from time to time I think um, Space Channel 5 is one that I recall where every character in the game has a like you can collect them and they have a a genuinely amusing and well translated description uh, in in the menus and Ape Escape's one like that Um, you can see uh, like you can raid, sort of, I think, radar scan them or sonar scan them or something, and you get an inkling into their personality, uh, which will uh, sort of dictate how they'll try to to run away from you across the level as you scramble after them with your uh, with your net. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure you get sort of personality breakdowns of all the monkeys in the game in the menus anyway. That's that's my recollection, or I may have dreamt that whole aspect of the game. <laughs> but uh, doesn't it sound fun? I think so. (laughs) Right now we're back in the realm of Josh Garrity and his brilliant but predictable picks. And here we have something from the mighty Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. um, I I think this is a game that at some point will exhaust the entire track list of. Could do. I think, honestly, I think the soundtrack is that strong. Um, Every single track is just so beautifully put together and um this one is no different um this track is the end of the battle and this was composed by ko atani um and this is the music that plays um just after you've defeated a colossus um and you see it slowly sink the ground um and it's the music that kind of injects you with a question of uh, doubt as to whether what you're doing is justified. Um, These are beautiful, majestic creatures, and you are slaughtering them. And this music and the slow motion death of the creatures kind of really hammers that home. Um, We we featured a lot of the battle music um, for Shadow of the Colossus on the the podcast, um, uh, along with the prologue that plays at the beginning. But uh, I think more more than any other track, this kind of sums up the theme of um, Shadow of the Colossus, which is that kind of question of morality of what 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 am I doing? Is this right? Is the death of all of these beautiful creatures justified in the face of the hero's objective? Um, yeah, I think this is a, a a beautiful piece of music in amongst a a whole load of uh, beautiful tracks. Um, Take a listen.
The End of the Battle by Koatani. I think that's my favourite piece from Shadow of the Colossus soundtrack. Uh, so lovely pick. We talked about both Eco and Shadow of the Colossus all the way back in the Kane and Rince podcast issue four. I apologise if it's terrible. I don't, I don't think it was terrible. Um, it may not be, you know, quite, quite as uh, polished as we are these days. Not that we're always polished, but uh, I'm sure it's still worth a listen anyway, even though we did cram in two uh, very important games into into one podcast. It's probably like two and a half hours long back then. So uh, I reckon it's got, it's got to still be worth listening to, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, there it is. Our whole back catalogue can be found, as I always say, at com and on iTunes and, and other places. We've recently covered games as... Uh, eclectic as the Rock Band series and The Legend of Zelda Four Swords and Kickoff and Kickoff 2 Player Manager, things like that. So uh, 80 Days as well. Always always something interesting to listen to on our main Cane and Rinse podcast. You probably know that because that gets like many, many times more listeners than this does. I should probably spend more time plugging this show on that one. But hey, you never know. Now, our penultimate track for this sound of play is requested by our friend from the forum, Mike Leddy, 83. I was playing uh, GTA Online cunning stunts with him the other night. It was good fun. Uh, He requested this a while ago, and the request is simply, stood at the bus stop this morning listening to StarCraft II soundtrack. I got a Western vibe in my head. Uh, So I was expecting a pick from StarCraft II, but no. Uh, it was uh, a selection of older pieces from various games with uh, Wild West type themes. And this is from Natsume's 1994 SNES classic, Wild Guns, and it's Final Fight Stage 1. Hiroyuki Iwatsuki and Haruo Ohashi. And uh, Final Fight Stage 1, not to be confused with anything off of Final Fight or Final Fight 1. It's from Wild Guns. Uh, And uh, Iwatsuki-san is a composer of some note with work on uh, Pocky and Rocky and Chase HQ 2 Special Criminal Investigation uh, and uh, various other notable bits and bobs and some less notable bits and bobs. such as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the the movie, the game. <laughs> uh, but more recently, he's um, done a piece with, uh, yeah, th- there were many people on it, but he did some stuff for Half Minute Hero, although I say recently, that was, it was recently, relatively speaking, but Half Minute Hero was 2009 now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, even the, the second version was 2011. So, yeah, never mind. But yes, Wild Guns, very cool game. Um, very much in the mould of mid-90s Super Nintendo output. I believe it came out for the Wii U Virtual Console. Certainly came out for the Wii Virtual Console, but I think the NTSC version may be available on Wii U, and it's a sort of steampunk uh, 16-bit action game, uh, cowboy steampunk, you know, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, So if you're a fan of uh, vintage 2D uh, stuff and sprite work, and cowboys and steampunk wild guns might be the one the one for you as i say uh 
please remember we have a friendly forum at canarince.com slash forum where you can talk all about uh, all the games, all the podcasts, uh, and you can also request pieces for Sound of Play, of course. You can follow us on Twitter, at canarince. Uh, use the hashtag Sound of Play if you like. Uh, that helps us. And we also have a Facebook page. Uh, seek that out. Search canarince. And there we are. Like the page. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll continue to include a selection of your picks for most Sound of Play podcasts, except the odd rare exception where we do something differently. I'm sure that's okay. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever else. And if you really like what we do with this and our other podcast, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can uh, give us a dollar a month or whatever you think in our sort of online donation box to help keep us going and uh, pay for our hosting fees and all that sort of thing. Uh, we also have T-shirts and bags over at spreadshirt.co.uk slash rinse. There's uh, specific sound of play ones too, if you fancy. So uh, keep those coming, those requests. We need them to continue the show, really. Otherwise, it'll just be us indulging ourselves, although we're happy to do that if you like. Uh, but some of the most interesting picks, as always, as with the correspondence on our other podcast, comes from uh, from the community. Uh, now, this last one, uh, I noticed you picked it, but then I also noticed we had a request. So this is a this is a twofer, a two for one um, request for suicide mission from Mass Effect Two. Uh, so before you say your bit, Josh, uh, let's hear from Gaio Pinto from the forum who says the Mass Effect franchise has been featured several times on Sound of Play, but there haven't been any songs from Mass Effect 2, which is my favourite of the series. Mine too, Gaia. The whole game is about preparing a team of specialists to go on a suicide mission in the far reaches of the galaxy. You spend dozens of hours getting your team prepared, but unlike most games, everyone can die if your team isn't ready or if you don't make smart decisions on the mission. There's no going back once you jump through the mass relay and this music starts pumping as soon as you arrive at the base. It perfectly captures the tension and what's at stake. This is one of the most thrilling moments I've ever experienced in a video game. Josh, um, does that echo your feelings? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think Suicide Mission um, is the piece of music I think of when I think about the Mass Effect games. And um, it's such a... Um, perfect encapsulation of kind of the fear and tension of this moment in particular. Um, it's it's it feels like a war anthem. It feels like um, uh, warriors about to go out, you know, into the breach, as it were, and um, and you know, not knowing if they'll come back home. Um, but there is a, a feeling of hope that runs through the track as well. Um, I think the you know the Mass Effect series is um famous for having some really really good sci-fi music but Suicide Mission in particular feels both um you know the most special to me but also it feels kind of unique to the Mass Effect series it doesn't feel like it's really um noticeably riffing off of um popular music trends that were going on in uh, cinema at the time like some of the stuff in Mass Effect 3 does to me um this feels like um something that's unique to Mass Effect 2 and and I really really love it brilliant right well thanks for joining me Josh it's been a pleasure thanks for your five picks awesome but predictable that's okay <laughs> No, it really is. It sounds like I'm having a dig. It's not. Edit, edit that out, Jay. I was just being silly. <laughs> leave it in. I'll leave it in. <laughs> uh, all right. And uh, yes, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh again and uh, to tell you that next time on Sound of Play, uh, it'll be your host, Ryan, and, uh, and we'll see you soon. 